brought to you by the Game Reviews and the Unified Gamers Network. You're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that obviously can't keep track of time. Sorry, it's been so long since the last show, everybody. I'm your host, Joe Delia, TGR's Reviews Director, and I'm joined, as always, by my Big Trip co-host, Sinan Kuba. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing really good. I can't even remember the last time we did a show. <laughs> I know, it's crazy, isn't it? It's kind of embarrassing, yeah. I'm really sorry. We're really sorry about that. But uh, we've got a really good one today, so hopefully that will be prepared a little bit. <laughs> and uh, I'm sorry that the show has to pull you away from uh, the game you were playing man. I, I, I know between Final Fantasy XIII and the Bit Trip series, you've been quite busy, right? I, I got home from work today and I've been playing those two games, Bit Trip Void and Final Fantasy XIII, for the last eight hours. <laughs> uh, so, um, But the, the opportunity to talk to who we're going to talk to today was uh, pretty much worth it, just about, to pull myself Pretty away. much? Just okay. about, yeah. So today, our guest is Alex Noisy. He is the CEO of Gaijin Games, the developers of WiiWare's BitTrip Beat, BitTrip Void, BitTrip Core, and the upcoming BitTrip Runner. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks for coming on board. Hey, dudes. Thanks a lot. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. So um, what we kind of wanted to do today was just talk a little bit about indie, indie game development and, uh, and how you guys got to be where you are today. Um, so to start, I figured we'd ask you a few questions about uh, the way your team got together, how Gaijin Games came about. Sure. Well, basically, uh, the three of us at Gaijin Games right now met at a previous job. And, um, and I left that job uh, you know, for, for my own reasons and took some time off from the industry, um, feeling a little bit burnt out. Uh, I've been in the industry a long time, and so um, I wanted a little break. So I took a, about a month and a half off, did some traveling, and had a good time, and when I came back, um, I wanted to start my own company, and, and uh, I needed some trusted cohorts. So I started talking to some of these dudes that I'd met um, at this other job, and that was Chris and Mike, and those guys were into it. And so we all decided, you know, let's throw caution to the wind, and and uh, without any money whatsoever, let's just start a company. And um, you know, some would call us foolish uh, or idealist and, or whatever, but we we ended up doing it. And here we are, a year and a half later, still in business, which is great, um, and with a, a really nice series underway. So that's kind of how it started, and um, and we'll see where it goes from there. That's a pretty incredible story, especially during the troubled times of the past couple of years as far as the economy goes. Um, the other guys in your team, did they kind of have the same experience as you? Uh, you know, they, they each had experience in the game industry, for sure. Um, they... I think I, I have the most experience uh, if we're talking about time in the industry, but uh, they were definite veterans, and we had worked together on a Tomb Raider game for the Nintendo DS. Uh, I was the lead designer, Chris was the lead engineer, and Mike was the lead environment artist. So we had all had uh, you know high responsible high responsibility roles before, and all on the same team. So we knew how each other worked, and that was nice. So we you know we came into it with a trust. Uh, starting the company and that was really good and yeah in terms of the economy it was super bold um, kind of weird a lot of our friends you know thought well you know it, it seems dumb to try to start something new in this economy but at the same time it's like it may be as good a time as any you know you're not going to go downhill from from where we are now all of us were unemployed at that time um, of our own doing but you know it was like let's try it if it fails then we get a job, you know. So, uh, so yeah, it was it was kind of exciting. That's for sure. 
That's really cool. Did that uh, Tomb Raider DS game happen to be Legend by any chance? Uh, it was Tomb Raider Underworld DS. Oh, the Underworld uh, game. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Far out. Yeah. Um, so what did you guys decide on WiiWare? Um, obviously, when you guys uh, put were putting together BitTrip Beat, WiiWare was pretty new, if, if not even brand new at the time, and there hadn't really been that many games on it yet, at least not original ones that weren't you know, quick ports from some PC Flash game at the time. Um, what made you guys decide on WiiWare, and, and where did you guys get your inspirations for, for more of a starting point for what to do on that platform? Well, it's, uh, it's, there were a couple factors going into it. Basically, I like to try to work um, in what I believe is more of a, an Eastern approach to game development where we try to focus on working from the controller in to the television rather than like from the television out to the player or to the controller. So we prototyped the gameplay for BitTrip Beat knowing all the while that we wanted to do this crazy, you know, retro Pong-ish kind of a game. And um, we had it uh, with mouse control, we had it with gamepad control, shoulder button control, analog stick control, and none of that felt really good. And like, I'll take this moment to mention how I just lament the death of the spinner controller because I, I don't think that thing was played out. Um, and so we wanted to mimic the spinner controller as much as possible, and we got the idea to try the, the uh, tilt controls on the Wii remote. And the moment that we implemented that, we knew that we had to make this game for the Wii. It just it felt perfect. Um, and I would argue that the final controls in BitTrip Beat are just fantastic. And it's because of the Wii Remote. And so that was the biggest reason why we ended up going with the Wii. And then a second reason is that we all came with a lot of Nintendo experience. So it was kind of uh, a little bit of a comfort zone situation. So that was kind of the icing on the cake and sealed the deal for us uh, to go Wii. Okay. Wow, that's that's really cool. Um, so speaking of the trip beat, your, your guys' first game... Um, where did the style of that game come from? Because anyone who's played it knows that the the flashy neon and the amazing chiptune soundtrack are, are two of its most defining features. Where did you guys come up with such a really cool, unique art and audio style? Did you guys have any influences in particular, or did it more of just come out of you know building the gameplay and then seeing what would fit into that type of thing? Well, basically, um, I've got this fascination with classic games, and I, I have a belief that video games don't need to be as complex as they are right now. And I mean, certainly, some complex games are great, you know, and I, I play them and love them, but um, they don't all need to have these layers of complexity to be fun. So we wanted to boil down what a video game is kind of to its core, and we came up with uh, Pong as being like the simplest, or the most pure form of video game. And, uh, and then we kind of wanted to simplify that even further, so we made it a one-sided game of Pong where you're just controlling this thing, you know, and so that was kind of the, the gameplay idea behind it. And then I had this notion that I wanted it to look like an Atari 2600 game, um, but our artist kind of wouldn't, wouldn't have that. You know, he, you know, he respectfully said, um, you know, we could make a game that looks like the 2600, but that's really not going to fly. So let's, let's make it look more like um, the 3D or the, the 2009 version of what an Atari 2600 game might be. And, uh, and then from there we had the visual style and the gameplay style. And um, our engineer, Chris, and I were talking about ship music and how we both really enjoyed it and, uh, and thought it was a really cool genre 
of electronic music. And I'm a huge fan of rhythm music games. You know, Parappa the Rapper ch totally changed my life. And, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, Gotta I, believe. Yeah, oh, you, yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and um, so we decided to make this a rhythm music genre, or, I mean, a series, I should say. And, and so that's kind of where the, the musical stylings came into it. So it, it really was a collaborative process um, among the, the three of us as a team. And honestly, if I had been the kind of lead designer or director of a project that um, that just dictates outright what we're going to do, Bitrip Beat like would have been completely different than what it is, and it probably would have been way worse. And that's one of the things that I love about working with a team, is that I've got this idea for a game, and I know exactly what I want. And when the game finally comes out, it's nowhere near what I wanted at the beginning, but it's so much better. And so that's that's what happened with Beat. Um, because Picture Beat is, is such a you know it is, it is a simple game, but it, it's kind of a little bit difficult maybe to, to explain to to someone who hasn't played games for a while. You know that there's this mix of pong and and the, and the rhythm game and and the fact that your game is on WiiWare, it must have been a, quite difficult to to market the game initially, especially um, being on a digital distribution network. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. We we decided to work with a publisher rather than self-publish, um, you know, and for better, for worse, who knows, you know, but, um, when I was, when we, we took the game to pitch to a couple different publishers, um, it was very interesting to watch their reactions and, and you could tell looking around the room, like who got it and who didn't just by the looks on their faces. And basically, I mean, if you think of it, we're, we're going around and we're pitching Pong in the year 2009. You know, that's, right. <laughs> that's pretty bonkers, you know, to say, you need to give us money to make this awesome game. You'll never believe it. It's Pong, you know. And, um, and so we, we ended up finding a publisher. Uh, in fact, it was a publisher that I wanted to work with. Uh, I've wanted to work with them for years, is Access Games. And they, they saw the vision. They believed in it. Uh, or they decided to take a chance. You know, I, I like to think that they believed in it, and um, <laughs> and they basically said, okay, you've got this vision. Obviously, you guys are passionate for it, so we're kind of letting your passion uh, drive this thing. And they didn't try to stick their nose in the creative vision or dictate what it needed to be. They just let us make the game that we believed in, and I think that that comes through in the final product. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, just speaking from a personal standpoint, you know, I obviously I've been a lifelong gamer and I've always liked that type of the uh, the retro revival that's happened in the last couple of years. And when I saw your guys' first trailer on Joystick, I believe it was, it, it blew my mind. <laughs> like, I, I couldn't believe, and Stan and I talked about this in a previous show, we, we, we did a, a piece about Break Tier Beat, and we said, I can't believe in, in 2009 someone came up with a new way to twist Pong. Yeah. Which... Um, from a personal standpoint, was a revelation, and I know both Stan and I got incredibly addicted to, to despite the uh, the difficulties that are inherent to it, we, we got incredibly addict, uh, addicted to trying to beat Bitcher Beat uh, around the our time we did our show last year. Um, nice. And it's, it's a fantastic experience. Um, so what... Sorry if I go to talk, talk to you, Joe. Just on that note, like, the, the first time I actually heard of um, the game was through um, a video on the cart mode. The Cartwright guys, they did yeah. a short feature of you guys. Was that one of the sort of first things that came out about the game? And it just interests me in terms of getting the word of mouth out there. What, what routes did it, did, uh, did that take for the game? 
Yeah, it, I mean, that was kind of interesting, and, and it may have been our most effective marketing or PR campaign, um, I think, because the three of us at Gaijin Games kind of started this whole weird mystery around BitTripBeat and Commander Video. I don't know if you guys remember that, the weird live-action yes. trailer and all that, <laughs> all that nonsense. And um, it was really fun, and, you know, cryptic messages and all that, so we got a lot of buzz. And uh, I wish that we could have sustained that throughout the whole series um, somehow. But uh, but there was that mystery there that was really nice. And and the co-op thing, I think you're right. Uh, it was one of the first things that really hit um, the mainstream. And a lot of people found out about the game that way, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, it, it was interesting to try to market something that ostensibly looked like a game from the 70s through modern lenses. Absolutely. Can you talk a little bit the, about the uh, actual development process of your game? Um, and Now, I know that you know that in the beginning you guys kind of announced, though, this is going to be a series, there's going to be more than one, and, and you know, Void and Core came out pretty close to the release of BitTrip Beat. Did you guys, do you guys work on one game at a time? Do you work on multiple at a time? Are all six games kind of planned out, and you just kind of pick and choose which one you want to go next? Uh... From the beginning, it was going to be a six-game series, and when we pitched it to our publisher, we pitched it as a six-game series, and we have known since the start what each of those six games is going to be, and we've changed them a little bit here and there, um, primarily due to you know design holes or uh, that type of thing. So, um, but the roadmap has been laid from the beginning. We do work on each game. Uh, in sequence, so we're not working on multiple games at once. It's just well, sort of, it's yeah, it's too much for our brain space. Like just being three dudes, <laughs> you know, to like to try to juggle projects can be really tough. So right. we chose to do them in sequence, um, and so there are three to four month development cycles for each game, which is a little bit too fast for for me, honestly. It's a little bit uh, strenuous, but at the same time, every three or four months, you've got a finished product and. I think that we're able to keep the quality pretty high on them uh, because we limit our scope with each game. And it's been a really interesting thing for us to learn how to do is look at our schedule and say, dudes, we've got three months. Like, okay, we can't do some things. And then we don't do them, you know? And that's that's just the fact of the matter. And I think it kind of makes our games a little bit more pure uh, in, in some ways. So that's kind of cool. And the way that the design process goes, or the development process, I think this was part of your question, um, we prototype every game that we make first. So the first sprint, it usually is about a, like a two-week sprint or something, and that's when we focus on getting the game up and running in a prototype, very raw, arguably crusty form, and uh, trying to see if that's any it, anywhere near fun. And then once we get close to fun, you know, we figure out, okay, this is going to work. Now let's move into production, and then, uh, and then from there, we just try to pound the thing out. Wow. I mean, from from because uh, you you mentioned at the at the top of this that uh, there were huge financial risks going into this uh, project. Um, in terms of moving from one game to another, you know, going down this this uh, this series of games. What's the financial pressure like? You know, I, I, I don't want to get too deep into your relationship with your publisher, but what, how are you kind of keeping one eye on the numbers and, and 
thinking, you know, can we start working on this next game? Is it worth starting working on this next game? Or is it just a bit more organic than that? Um, it's a bit more organic than that. I think primarily because we, um, we're very honest, we're very open with our publisher and, and they are as well, uh, with us. So we have a very good relationship with them. And, um, to your point, we wanted to take a little bit extra time, uh, with BitTrip Runner and give it a little bit extra oomph. Um, and that's why it's a, a much bigger game, uh, you know, with like 50 levels and a little bit more high polish on it. Um, we just felt that there was something very special about that game. So, you know, we took a little bit more time than maybe we ought to have. Um, so, yeah, you're absolutely right that we do have one eye on the budget and one eye on the game at all times. And sometimes that can be a little bit stressful. But uh, so far, it's been working out. And if we do go over, we're able to make it up, you know, here or there in, in small ways. Um, and I think that that's a really interesting thing to learn how to do as a developer. And I came from some of the very big companies like LucasArts and Activision, and um, and I've worked with some of the very big companies like EA and Atari, and a lot of development studios just slip, like period, just go for it, and like with no regard to the schedule or to money right. or whatever. And I think that's very dangerous to do, and if, you are an independent developer and you're working with business partners, it is in your best interest to make sure that you're on top of your game and that you're doing what you said you would do and you're not causing anyone any, I don't know, slippage or financial risk or whatever. But what it comes down to is that um, we've learned very well how to operate within a scope, a, a schedule, a budget, and and that's that's a very valuable thing for us to have learned. That's really interesting. Sort of thinking about some of the, the development teams that have you know closed. We would love to grow a little bit, and we are hoping to grow a little bit this year. But we we can't do it before we're ready, and we can support that growth. You know, and we have seen right. teams die because of exactly what you just mentioned, and we don't want to be one of those companies. You know. Right. In that way, do you kind of see you guys, once you're done with the, the BitTrip series, moving on to a different type of release? Or is digital the kind of the focus for you guys, and that's where you'd like to stay? Well, that's that's an interesting question, because we, we sort of have this ideal that we would do digital distribution only, because we don't like mm -hmm. contributing to landfills and, and the packaging and the manufacturing and... <laughs> you know, from an environmental standpoint. That's one sure. perspective. And another another one is because, you know, when you make physical products, you have more people in the equation, so they each get a piece of the pie, right? So digital sure. distribution is much better in many ways. However, the audience is not quite ready for digital distribution. And certainly as gamers and hardcore gamers who are in the know, like the three of us are, uh, we don't mind logging on and buying something online and, and not having a physical copy, but I think that the general public at large isn't quite there yet. And now they're certainly getting closer and closer to being there, but the way that we're looking forward is that we might need to do some physical product down the road and or um, release multi-platform because it's, while we are, you know, still in business, making money and everything, you know, 
we're not quite uh, making enough so that we can fulfill some of our company goals, like expanding and working on bigger projects, like much bigger projects. Sure. So moving forward, like you were saying, after the BitTrip series, we're definitely going to change up our game a little bit. Um, we're not a one-trick pony development studio that just does retro revival rhythm games. Um, we have a lot of ideas, and some of them are just very, very couldn't be, you know, more different from the BitTrip series. And we're really excited to 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 try our hand at that and see what the fans think. Like, you know, uh, I think it'll be kind of interesting. Sounds so exciting. Oh. <laughs> Speaking yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah, hopefully we'll, hopefully we will astound and amaze. You know, that's our goal. Well, with your guys' pedigree, I don't see how it, that could not happen. Thank you. So, um, further that last question, then. I mean, uh, there have been a few studios who've, uh, you know, released digital games, then and then made a sort of compilation uh, series, you know, on, on physical media. Is that yeah. something you would consider for the for the Bitrip games? You know, maybe a, a six on in one on a, on a disc. Uh, I suppose that we would consider it, but. Currently, there's no real plans for doing that. Right. right. Yeah. Fair enough. That's an exciting prospect for sure. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, speaking of indie games in general, right now, um, do you guys have any inspirations when you when you decide to jump on board this train? Is there any other indie teams that you guys look forward to? And, and what do you kind of think of the way that indie games are moving right now? Um, I think that the independent game movement, if you want to call it a movement, I don't know, the independent game scene is. Mm -hmm is kind of the renaissance of the video game uh, medium. You've got more original ideas in the indie game scene than you've got coming out of the mainstream. And that's very refreshing because to me, the, like back in the 80s, you know, um, you had games about propeller beanies shooting olives, you know, and like weird, like what <laughs> are you thinking? You know, and, and that's so imaginative and I, we're missing some of that imagination now. It's, and I've said this in other interviews and stuff where it's like, oh, I'm going to play another gray space marine shooting, a shooting gray aliens game. Like, I don't need more of those as a player. Um, what I want to see is like true innovations. And so things like um, uh, Nobi Nobi Boy or Katamari Damacy and, you know, uh, I mean, those are all bigger budget, right? But those are games with creativity that, that are really getting nutty, and I like that. And there's, you know, there's a lot of that in the indie game scene as well. Um, one of our big, like, indie pals uh, is Team Meat, so they're doing Super Meat Boy, and they're, yeah, they're local here. They they only work a few blocks from us, so we see them all the time, and and it's really nice to see what they're doing. And if you follow Edmund McMillan's um, you know, backlog of games that he's made, that, that dude is pretty far out there. And so I think one of the things that really inspires me about looking at his work uh, is, is that he's really gone for it. And he's done a lot of creative things. And whether they've sold well or not, I, I don't really know. But I really admire his bravery for doing that. And so what we want to do is we want to constantly sort of, uh, in our products, ask the question, like, why is this game important? And each game that we make, we feel should be important for one reason or another. That's that's outside of just, oh, this is a fun time waster. We don't want to make time wasters. We want to make meaningful experiences. 
Okay, I, 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 I'm a, also a fan of um, of Edmund McMillan's work and just been playing a lot of his previous games recently. Stuff like like I think it's pronounced Gish. I want to say Gish. Oh sure, um, yeah, Gish. And then uh, and he and he released a uh, Time FC UK last year, which was bizarre game, really <laughs> weird, weird, yeah. strange game. Very interesting game. Yeah. All right, Alex. So I think it's about time we wrap up. I just want to ask you about Bit Trip Runner, which, according before the show, you said should be out sometime this spring. Yeah, um, I okay, think so. Great. We're we're kind of thinking like uh, you know late spring, early summer, probably late spring. Okay. And I think that we're going to find out the release date pretty soon, so I'll let you know. Great. Um, so you want to tell us a little bit about the game and uh, and what Bit Trip fans will have to look forward to when they play it? I would love to. Um, Bittrip Runner is the first game where you control Commander Video in a corporeal form, and you, I, I feel like the player is a little bit more drawn in um, in many ways, which is really interesting to observe. And all the all the people that have played the game, I think they really get drawn into that little character, even though he's just you know 16 by six pixels or whatever he is, and um, so you you run and you jump and you slide and you kung fu kick and you block beats from bit trip beat and you do all this crazy stuff all to the rhythm of the music and it's we wanted to do something that was like um, I, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't say like never been done before but is kind of off the wall and you don't get a lot of rhythm music platformer games and uh, and so we really turned to games like Viv Ribbon or Donkey Kong Jungle Beat um, those types of games for some inspiration as to how we can keep this thing fresh with only a few moves, um, you know, because we like to keep our games pretty simple. So, uh, so I think that we succeeded, and I'd love to hear what your listeners think. You know, if they think we succeeded as well once <laughs> once they get their hands on the game, and and you guys too, of course. Um, and in terms of the story, this is this this game is is pretty important. It represents Commander Video um, gaining this, the confidence to take the world by storm. So he he basically is saying. Um, there's there's no way I can fail. I'm going for it. Uh, and every time that he bumps into something, you're warped back to the beginning of the level, but you're not quit out of the game. You don't get a game over. Um, right. You know that type of thing. And so it's 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 really meant to empower the player and and make them feel like just one more go, I can do this. Uh, there's a siren going by right now, but um, sorry about that. You know, so the, we want to empower the player so they can just say, "I can do it! I can do it!" and um, and not put the controller down and just just go for it. And so, hopefully, Runner will make you all feel like that. Um, I know that it makes me feel like that, and I find it very very fun to play. Well, I I, I have not played Bitchip Runner, so I can't comment on that. But just to say that everything I've seen of it and the trailers have been absolutely stunning. Thank you. And I can honestly say that I'm re there's really not another Wii game that I'm looking forward to playing as much as Bit Trip Runner. So <laughs> as soon as it's out this spring, I will be I will be plucking my Wii points down for that one. And I know Sanan probably agrees. I, I, I've actually kept my eyes completely off Bit Trip Runner just because I I've really enjoyed being surprised by the games beforehand because there mm. there's what what I what I love about moving from Bit Trip Beat to Bit Trip Core and from Bit Trip Core to Bit Trip Void there there's obviously you know links and and common thematics and uh, you know uh, similar mechanics in all, all of the games but they are all in essence giant departures one yeah. for another you know from from beat you're using the Wiimote to tilt and then suddenly you're just reducing the d-pad and it's and it's you know the precision's gone but it's all much more on the timing then bit of void is just this incredible 
It's such a huge departure from <laughs> the two games before it, and I, I love that about the series. I think it's one of its 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 charms that it's such an evolving yet somehow still entirely linked in series. Yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out because that's one of the things that we really wanted to focus on. Um, I, as much as I think a Bitrip beat sequel would be awesome, like just more levels, you know, and same gameplay. I think that would be super cool. And as but as much as we think that's cool, we wanted to. We didn't want to get the series to feel samey or start to feel old or anything, so um, we thought we would do the sort of unheard of in the game development scene, which is throw everything out and start over fresh every single time, you know? <laughs> and so that's, uh, it's, it definitely is a challenge, um, but I think that it feels right for the, for the series, and as the story evolves, and there is a very rich story being told in the background, and I think that players will, if they haven't already, they'll start to understand what that story is by, you know, the end of game five, and then game six will wrap it all up. Uh, the story is also told through gameplay, not just the cutscenes, not just the music or the art, um, but all of those things together, as well as the gameplay. And, you know, what you were just saying about the controls going from beat to core, I would wager that you felt kind of restricted in core and kind of weird and trapped and claustrophobic and that's on purpose because that's the story that we're telling about Commander Video at that time. And so it's it's been really fun for us to to explore the different control mechanisms. And with BitTrip Runner, you you feel so much more free in a way, because you can do all these crazy moves and stuff, but it also doesn't feel entirely like a bit trip game because it it feels more like almost too familiar like kind of like a platformer and i think that that's really exciting uh because it's just like another curveball i think that's fun it's it's so interesting that you bring it up about, about core because i've just been talking with a friend about about the difficulty curve in core compared to beat and mm -hmm. uh you know the, the second level versus the third level in core which is it's not the sort of same steep difficulty curve that you have it had in beat and I, I mentioned it to a friend as, as a kind of a, a complaint, so you know that it kind of threw me off because I was expecting it to get much harder level yeah. after. And he said, "No, that it reflects the story. If you're paying attention, it reflects that <laughs> uh, that commander video is going through a really hard time in that second level." And nice. I was like, oh, okay, and it, it, you know, I, I'm not necessarily like I, I completely get it, but I, it, it, it impresses me that you know some some of the players are, can can get that, and there is this kind of. You are trying something different with, a, with difficulty, which is, uh, it's really interesting to me. <laughs> it, it, it made me want to play it again and take a, a closer look. Yeah, I'm glad that that's getting through to some players. It's um, it's definitely a, a crazy thing for us to try to do as well. I've never tried to do anything like that. Um, and even though these games are pretty simple, it, it's, it's a pretty ambitious design goal. And I'm kind of wandering into unknown territory myself, and I'm sure that I've got some failures in there as well as some successes. But... Um, these are all the points I'm trying to get across, and it's it's really rewarding to get emails from fans and stuff who have figured it out. We got this one crazy email where this dude just described the whole story, and we all looked at each other and we were like, "Was that guy like in the room while we made this?" <laughs> it's super cool, you know, that people are picking up on it. Fantastic. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna say keep up keep up the great work, and I can't wait to play Bitch Runner. And thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I really enjoyed it, and uh, thanks for all the kind words. Absolutely. So, Bitrip Beat, Bitrip Void, and Bitrip Core are currently available right now for 600 Wii points on your Wii, and Bitrip Runner should be coming along pretty soon also. Alex, thank you very much for coming on, and we look forward to seeing what you guys have in store for us in the future. Thank you very much. 
that is it for now. I will see y'all later. Goodbye. Bye. See you. Bye. save a significant amount of cash. Then get down to the communities and play online with friendly and respectful gamers, such as those at the Ninja Fat Pigeons. To find out more about your games, you can check out GamerDog and the Gamer Scene, where news and discussion will keep you well informed. And for those who like to dig deep, it's Big Red Potion, where you can get some serious and in-depth analysis of the games that you love.